morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, we are going to be spending a few weeks looking at the story of Joseph, the life story uh, taken out of the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, so if you want, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. It's page 39 if you're using the Bible there in the, uh, the chairs. Uh, and as you're turning there, let me just ask you a question. And that is, if, if, if God was going to, I think we have it up on the screen here, There it is, all right. So when it comes to who God uses to accomplish his will, what kind of person do you think he would use? Uh, you know, maybe you'd think that somebody has a good heritage, you know, somebody who comes from a long line of respected people. Those are the people that God uses. Or maybe it's uh, somebody who has good upbringing. You know, the parents have disciplined them and, and trained them well, and so they're, you know, people who are looked up to. Maybe it's somebody who has good character, they're trustworthy, they're humble or loyal or hardworking. Or maybe it's someone who has the, the right training, they've gone to the right schools, uh, the right you know, education that they need. But would you choose a spoiled 17-year-old sheep herder who comes from a line of liars, adulterers, Cheats, you know, people who you would look at and say, I'm not really sure these are the people that God would use. Well, God did. That's Joseph. That's who we're going to look at and look at how God used him in spite of his family, his upbringing, and even himself. See, God's in the habit of using messed up people like Joseph, like you and like me to accomplish his will. He does that by using our life circumstances to reveal who he is to us and then through that kind of form us and, and make us into people who are more like Jesus Christ, to think and act more like God himself really in that sense. And so in this series we want to look at the people and the situations, the rough crowds that Joseph faced as God worked his will through him. But before we do that, we need to um, know a couple things. All right, so I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. Uh, I know you didn't pay for that when you came in, but it's free information for you. Uh, we were in our last series called Recalibrate, and in that series we talked about the will of God. How do you discover and know the will of God? We spent four weeks going through that, that topic. And I mentioned, I think it was last week, that as we go through Joseph, this is a, a great story that demonstrates what we call the sovereign will of God. And so God's plan, as I was just referencing, his, his plan, his will, ultimately is to reveal himself to us. He wants, he created in, all, in, in order for us to know who he is, what kind of God he is. He did, then he did that to, to restore us into our relationship with him because we've all sinned and we're disconnected from God. And then he wants to make us more like himself. And so no matter um, what you're facing today, understand this, that the number one thing that God wants you to know through that circumstance, through that situation, through that relationship, whatever it is that's on your heart and your mind, the number one thing he wants you to know is 
who he is. He wants you to know that he is a good God, that he is a faithful God, that he is a God who provides and protects, that he's the one who gives you strength, he's the one who gives you peace. All the different promises that he gives us in God's word. And so he wants you to know that. And then he wants you to be drawn to him into a relationship with him. If you already have that relationship, he wants to use you to draw others to him for relationship. And he wants to help you become more like Jesus Christ. That's kind of, when you look at life, that's what God's attempting to do through everything that's going on, whether it's in our world or in our lives specifically. And so, like Joseph, your life is part of that plan, is part of what God is attempting to do. So let me give you a quick recap of, of Joseph. You know, what's Joseph all about in the sense of why is he in the Old Testament and that kind of thing. And so I, I put a map up here. You know, this is kind of exciting. We've got a map and everything. So um, you know, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. There's Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin. And then we go down to Noah. You know, you know, you know about Noah and the worldwide flood and the ark that he had and that he saves him and his family uh, because of the ark. He, he built this ark because God told him to do it. It was kind of weird to everybody else, but he did it and saved his family that way. The ark settles, and, and there's understanding that it probably settled up there in present-day Turkey, and his family kind of migrated down into what's present-day Iraq and possibly came down to where there's a little arrow pointing there, kind of around uh, Baghdad, Iraq which it wasn't called that then, but uh, present-day Baghdad, and they probably settled there, and it began to grow, and numbers of people began to grow, of course, because people, you know, the kids had kids, and kids had kids, and kids had kids. And so they had a bunch of kids, and they began to populate, repopulate the earth. Well, sometime after that, after God changed languages and, and did all that kind of stuff, uh, a guy named Terah was living in the city of Ur. So he kind of moved down here. That's present-day Basra, Iraq. And so he was living down there, and for whatever reason, the Bible tells us that he wanted to go to the land of Canaan, which is on your left over there on the screen, which, by the way. So he makes his way up. Now, he doesn't go straight across because that's desert, you know, so he went up through what they call a fertile crescent, and there's a lot of water sources there. So he follows that up, and for some reason, he takes a stop in Haran, and he stays there. He settles in Haran. Terah is Abraham's dad. So at some point, God initiates a relationship with Abraham. I say that because Abraham was not a God-fearer. He didn't worship God. He worshiped other gods. But God initiates a relationship with Abraham. And he says, hey, if, uh, in this relationship with you, if you trust me, if you will follow after me, I'm going to do some things for you. I, I'm going to bless you as an individual. I'm going to bless your descendants and then I'm also uh, going to bless the entire world through you. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and God said, because of that, because you believe me, I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you right with me. You'll be in relationship with me. So we know that part of that blessing is that his descendants are going to get a land. They're going to be able to have a nation and, and some land. The land is, at that time was inhabited by the Canaanites. All right, so God was going to give them the land. So why we call it the promised land, because God promised it. We know now that the blessing that he said was going to come to the world was actually Jesus Christ, God the Son, who came to earth, died on the cross, rose again, 
and secured for us the relationship with God, the forgiveness of sins that we all need, that, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes from a line of Judah. Judah is the kingly tribe of the nation of Israel. Judah was Jacob's son, Joseph's older brother. All right, so as the, as the descendants, as the nation grew, um, Jacob, who God renamed Israel, Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the 12 sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel. All right? And so then um, God told Abraham that before all this happens, there's going to be a, about 400 years where his descendants will be enslaved by another nation. Well, looking back on that, we know now that the nation was Egypt, that if you do the math, they were actually enslaved, his descendants, for 400 years, the nation of Israel. And it's Joseph that God uses to bring Jacob, Israel, and the family down into Egypt. And then they eventually were enslaved. So Joseph is the one who kind of God uses to bring uh, the family, eventually the nation of Israel, that becomes the nation of Israel, into Egypt. Right? Clear as mud? You're all like, oh, that was so good. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate that. All right, well, get back here with me. Um, so with that as a backdrop, we want to look at Joseph's life. We want to look at these rough crowds that he's going to have to deal with as God works his will through him. And so we're going to start in Genesis 37, verse 1, and go through all, through, all the way through Genesis 50. No, I'm just kidding. Just 11 verses for you this morning. It says this, Now Jacob, which again, God renamed Israel prior to this. You'd have to read the story before this. He lived in a land where his father Isaac had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. Again, the future promised land, nation of Israel. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Again, all of them are older. While he was still a youth, along with, his son, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives two of his four wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now we think some of the um, jealousy and hatred that's going on here is that at 17 years old, it seems like possibly Jacob put Joseph in charge of his older brothers. So you older siblings, how would you like to have your younger sibling in charge of you? I mean, that's what my parents did for me. I was in charge of my brother's yeah, no, that didn't happen, ever. Um, I mean, I had enough pink bellies to show you that they, I was not in charge when it came to my brothers. Anyways, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tech, uh, tunic. I almost said a technicolored dream coat. Um, <laughs> sorry. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And Joseph had a dream. So this isn't going to go well. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves, that's combining uh, stalks of grain, in the field. And lo, my sheaf uh, rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. How do you like to have that told to you? Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us or be our king? Are you really going to rule or have control over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. <sighs> now this is where you put in the emoji with the 
hand in the face, right? Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So here's a biblical truth that we're going to see kind of playing out through the life of Joseph. And when I say it's a biblical truth, it means that it's also true for us today. Is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, or who your family was or is, God can accomplish His will through you. See, there's always a temptation as Christians to find an excuse why it is that we say, well, God can't use me. And oftentimes, it's our, it's our past. It's our family. It's what our family currently is, or it's us, or decisions we've made. It's, it's something in our past that we can't get past, and we believe that God can't use us. And the truth is, if God can use someone like Joseph with the messed up family that he came from, then God can obviously use us. I mean, look at his ancestors, all right? So his great-grandpa and grandma, Abraham and Sarah, yeah, they were following God, but they didn't live perfect lives. Abraham was a liar. He was an adulterer. He slept with Sarah's maidservant. It says that uh, Sarah laughed when God gave them the promise of, hey, through you, I'm going to give you a son, and that son is going to, you're going to pass on all these promises will be given to your son, named Isaac. But they were like, God's not moving fast enough. And so they, they came together with their own plan. Hey, we can help God accomplish his, his promise. And so Sarah's like, hey, take my maidservant, Abraham, and you sleep with her, and we'll get a child from that. That's just how they operated back then. And so they did. Then you have his grandparents, Isaac and Rebekah. They played favorites. They seemed to be a little bit more balanced as a, as a couple, but they played favorites. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah and Jacob tricked Isaac and Esau to get the inheritance, inheritance that was supposed to go to Esau, but Jacob got it. And when Esau found out, Jacob ran for his life because he said, I'm going to kill you. And then his father, Jacob, he was a polygamist. Now, I won't go into the full story, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. You can read this prior to Genesis 37. But Jacob, is not, you know, he takes off, and he's going to go find a wife back like in his, where his relatives were before. And so he goes, and he, he finds uh, this young lady named Rachel. And he goes, I, I want to marry Rachel. So he goes to the father, Laban, and he says, hey, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. Rachel is the youngest of two daughters. So Laban's like, well, you can work for me for seven years. And then at the end of seven years, I'll give you Rachel. So he does. He works for seven years. And at the end of seven years, the wedding day happens. And he marries this young lady. And he goes in and sleeps with her. And then he realizes this isn't Rachel. This is Leah. This is the older daughter. The Bible says she had um, dull eyes, which means she probably wasn't as attractive as Rachel. So Jake is like, well, nuts. How do I get Rachel? So he goes to Laban and says, hey, I still want to marry Rachel. 
And so Laban says, well, work for me for another seven years. So he does. And this guy's in love, I guess, right? So he works for another seven years. He's now able to marry Rachel. And so Jacob takes Leah and Rachel. He moves back uh, to where um, his family was before. And there's a competition going on now. You have these two women who are jealous of each other. Leah can have children. Rachel can't. So Leah's having children. Rachel's not having uh, children. And so Rachel's like, well, I've got to figure out some way of getting children. Hey, I'll give my maidservant to Jacob, and that way he can have children with her. And so then at, when that's happening, Leah suddenly can't have children anymore. So she's like, mm, let's see. Well, I'll give my maidservant to Jacob too. So now Jacob has four wives. He's got a total of 12 children. Well, he's also got a daughter in there. But we have the 12 tribes of Israel that came from these four wives. You talk about a messed up situation. Then we add on to that, that Joseph is spoiled. He's favored. His dad makes it well known. His brothers hate him. They're jealous of him. You talk about a rough crowd. You talk about the excuses that Joseph could have to saying, oh, God would never want to use someone like me. Now, before I go any further, let me just clarify a couple things. This is important because I know you're all thinking this. And so I say, I already know these things. I can read your minds. The first thing is this. God never approves of us sinning in order to accomplish his plans. Yes, Joseph's family were messed up people. They sinned all the time. But God isn't pleased with that. But like we learned from Recalibrate, God's sovereign will can overcome that. If you remember that God's sovereign will, as we looked at it, was uh, the decrees and commands God makes concerning his creation and plans that will be carried out no matter what we do. And so Joseph's life is a perfect example of God's sovereign will being accomplished despite man's actions, the way they respond. If we do life God's way, God's sovereign will is going to work out. If we choose to not do his sovereign will, he's powerful enough to continue to work out the plans that he has. Again, the plans that he gave to Abraham specifically as it plays out into our world today. So what is God's will that he's trying to accomplish through you and me? I've already mentioned it once. We spent a series on it in the last four weeks, and so I'm going to only summarize it for you this morning. You can go back and listen to the messages previously, but I think it's important to at least summarize it once again, because we we got to get this um, in our heads because we forget this all the time. So God tells us, you can go to the next, oh no, this is the right one, sorry. So God tells us in Isaiah 43, the reason why he created man was to glorify himself. And really glorify means to reveal. There's a lot more to it, but just basically means to reveal. And so God wanted to reveal himself through creating man, you and me. And he wants us to, to know him to understand who he is, all right? And then with that, especially after sin happened, he wants to then bring us into a relationship with him. And we know that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, God who became man, died on the cross, and so he took God's judgment for our sin, the sin that keeps us disconnected from God. So he took God's judgment for us. It includes becoming more like Jesus, 
as we go through the circumstances, God says, I want to conform you into the image of Christ to become more like Jesus. And it also includes us making Jesus known to other people. So once we place our faith in Christ, our responsibility is to tell others about who he is. That happens through our words. It happens through our responses to life, how we live out life. Again, talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to get any more into that. So how is it that no matter who you are, where you've come from, who your family was, or how your family is today, how is it that God can accomplish his will through us? It's because the Bible tells us that we are new creatures with a new family. Now, next week, we're going to talk more about the new family. This week, I want to talk about this idea that uh, and understand that we are new creatures. So this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has a personal relationship with him through faith, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away, so the life before Jesus it no longer exists. From God's point of view, it, you place your faith in Christ, everything in your past that you say, eh, that wasn't good. God's like, I don't even remember it. <clears throat> Behold, which he's trying to get our attention, new things have come. So you have now through this relationship with Christ, you have new ways of responding that you didn't have before. So let me break these, this verse down because this is important to grab hold of. So the word new, it's going to show up twice here, is uh, in the Greek it means to be unprecedented. It means that something came into being that wasn't there before. So this, you are a new creature. That this is whatever God has created you now to be through faith in Christ. It, has, it never existed before. In a, in a sense, your life was never like this before. And so when you place your faith in Christ, he made you into a creation that didn't exist before. You existed, but the change that happens in you, spiritually speaking, from God wasn't there before. Then he uses the word creature or creation, which means to cause to exist that which did not exist before. In other words, so he's using these two words to give us his emphasis that whatever was before Christ, however life was before Christ, however you did life before Christ, that no longer is there. And from his point of view, now we struggle, but he's saying from his point of view, it's taken care of. This word creation or creature is actually a word that's always used in reference to God creating. So we talked about in the last series, God created this world. And that word, when he created, he didn't just create um, the world. He created the material that was necessary to create the world. So whatever we're made, of, made up of, he created that first, in a sense, and then created us. Okay? It all happened at one time, but trying to give the point that there was nothing except him prior to that. And then he created. It's the same word he's using as it pertains to us in the spiritual life. Because we were spiritually dead before, now we're spiritually alive through our faith in Christ. And so then he says, because that old things passed away. The word passed away means to come to an end, to disappear. It's an aorist tense, which means that it happened at a point in time in your past, which means at the point when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So in other words, the Bible never says you can all, well, I just always believed. According to Bob, you can't always believe. There's a point in time where you understood that you're a sinner, that you needed God to save you, and you had that conversation with God. So at that point, though, once you did that, God's like, I'm not remembering your past. I'm forgiving your sins. I'm, your past doesn't have to have power over you. 
So God's created us into being spiritually alive people when we place our faith in Christ. Now, how did that happen? Titus 3 tells us. It says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, which is a long way of saying, referring to Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, salvation that we receive, he, God, not us, saved us. What did he save us from? Our sin, sin's power in our life and our, the eternal consequences of, of eternity in hell. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, being a good person, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, which is a big phrase of saying, giving us spiritual life. God's Holy Spirit comes in, and our spiritually dead life is now given spiritual life by God himself. And renewing, which is reconstructing the way we think and the way we respond, by the Holy Spirit. So we get spiritual life. We're saved from the power of sin in our lives. Not that we'll never sin again, but now we, can, we have power because of God the Holy Spirit to not sin. But it also frees us from the eternal consequences of hell. And we were spiritually dead prior to Christ, and now we're spiritually alive. We're a totally different creation or creature. That's what he talks about. These new things have come. So new, again, what, wasn't, what didn't previously exist now exists. And it has come, which means it's come into existence that wasn't previously in existence. He keeps on referencing that. He wants us to get that. But it's a perfect tense, which means that at that point of salvation, what happened there carries on through the rest of your life. This is an ongoing thing, so salvation is always there, change is always there, and this thinking and responding becomes the natural part of our lives. Thinking like Christ, responding like Christ, becomes what he wants us to do. So God no longer sees us as we were. Again, we struggle with it, but God's like saying, hey, listen, I'm not holding it against you, so you don't need to hold it against you. So he no longer sees us as we were before placing our faith in Christ. We're no longer spiritually dead enemies, is what the Bible calls us. He's created us into spiritually alive children of his. And now we have a new purpose, and now we have new power for living that. So that brings us to the power. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think the next one, right? Oh, there you are. All right. So this is, this is from uh, Peter. Peter writes this. It may sound like Paul's writing, but it's, it's Peter. The Apostle Peter's writing this. And so bear with me. It's a little lengthy, but uh, we, we need all of it to get the, the grasp of it. So hang in there with me. So grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. That word means personally experiencing, all right? So be multiplied to you in personally experiencing God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted, it's already been given, it's a done deal. We don't have to keep on searching for it. It's, boom, given to us at salvation. To us, everything, the Greek word there means everything. So it's not, you know, a bunch of stuff here, but a few things here. No, it's everything. Everything we need to do life God's way, we have it because we have God's Holy Spirit. We have him in our lives and we have his word. So everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us, which means to be called by name, by his own glory and excellence. For by these, his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, which are only found in the Bible. Why has he granted us his promises? So that by them you may become, look at this, 
partakers of the divine nature. Whoa, we can become God. No, that's not, that's not what it's saying. Back down, some of you guys. No, it means to, to experience God at work in our lives. When we, when we follow through and trust these promises, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, we're no longer having to do life the way we used to have to do it. Now, for this very reason, experiencing God at work in your life, also applying all diligence. So here's what we have to do. We don't just sit there and go, okay, God, move me around. We have to function. We have to live life. So what are we doing now that we have all this stuff that God's given us? He says, in your faith, trusting God's way of responding, supply moral excellence. In other words, live God's way, not your way. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. So as you take a step of faith and you do it God's way, right? Then all of a sudden you have knowledge, which means you know God better. That's that personal experiential knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control, so you're no longer responding like yourself. And in your self-control, perseverance, you're no longer freaking out. You, have a, you might have a moment of going, no, 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 God's got this. I'm just going to keep doing it God's way. In your perseverance, godliness, which is just basically a lifestyle of doing life God's way. In your godliness, your brotherly kindness, you need to be kind to other people. And it's kind of referencing, be kind to those people that you like. You know, it's that kind of thing. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So as you're doing this now, love those that you're really kind of irritated with, kind of frustrated with. Love is agape love. It's that sacrificial love, the, one, the love that Jesus demonstrated. I've had numerous conversations this week, by the way, which is kind of funny, um, where at the end of the conversation, this is what I said to the people. Well, you know, that's why God tells us as Christians, we've got to love other Christians because Christians are going to frustrate you. And then what are you going to do? Well, God wants you to love them. Look out for their best, no matter how frustrating you are with them. All right? So that's one reason why God tells us as Christians, love other Christians. It's not always easy. I'll mess up, you'll mess up. And so it kind of gets us a little irritated. All right. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so God expects us to continue to become more and more like Christ, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God's always at work in us. For he who lacks these qualities, the Christian who is not pursuing these things, the person says, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to do these things, is either blind, in other words, really, you could probably say that they're not believers, or short-sighted. They are believers, but they're just kind of caught up in the fog and are not really grasping what God expects of them. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So you're not living as God as if God has forgiven you. Therefore, because you might be blind or short-sighted, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. So make sure you're truly saved. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. The things that we just got done talking about previously, okay? You will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter's not saying, oh, do these things, and that's what saves you, because we just learned before that it's not good deeds or being good that saves you. God does the work. He's saying that as a Christian, if you don't respond to life the way God's doing that, then you're going to start questioning and wondering, are you really saved? I'm going to have concerns about it. Maybe I'm not really saved. And I've had conversations with people like that all the time. Then here's what I usually tell them. I've never had that conversation um, with a person who's 
in God's Word on a regular basis, praying and reading God's Word, who's also then connecting with their church family, worshiping together, serving their church family, and sharing their faith. A person who do, does those things, which is a shortened version of what we just got done reading, probably should have just done that. But anyways, if you're doing those things, I've never talked to somebody who goes, yeah, but I'm not really sure I'm a Christian. Why? Because they're taking steps of faith. They're seeing God operate. They're learning about who God is based off of that. And now they're knowing God better. Well, if you know someone better, it's kind of hard to not feel connected to them, right? I mean, it's kind of some logical sense. So everything that we have, no matter what you've done in life, no matter who your family was or is today, no matter what you might think, everything you need for life and godliness has been granted to you. You have it. You just need to start learning to work with it. It's been granted to you through your faith in Christ. He says that we have all the promises from God. Now the promises, we only know that if we're in God's word and hearing the promises, reading the promises, studying out what that promise looks like in our lives. But those have all been granted to us as well, found in the Bible. And you only experience him then if you're willing to take that step of faith. And when you do, you won't stumble. That word has the idea of falling flat on your face. You won't do that. You might have times where you're kind of like rocked by what's going on in your life, but then you come back and you start to do and he starts, he gives you clarity and understanding about the circumstance, situation that you're in. And you begin to grow in knowing who God is. Well, next week you have to come back and find out what transpired after these verses. Or you can read ahead. Feel free to do that. I would encourage you to do that, actually. So Genesis 37 through 50, the end of Genesis, is the story of Joseph. I would encourage you to be reading that through the week because then as you come on Sundays, you're going to get a better grasp of what's going on there. Um, but for today, what are our takeaways? What, do we, what should we do from this? So let me just suggest a couple. The first one is this. Don't let your family history or dynamics, and I probably should have put it in there, or your own view of yourself, being excused for not experiencing God at work in your life. Again, God has forgiven that. If you've placed your faith in Christ, God has forgiven you of your past. God says your past doesn't have to have power over you, and you experience that release of power over you as you do life God's way. You just spend time in his word. And then secondly, get into the Bible. Discover God's promises and the life he offers you. We talk about this all the time here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Good to have you. Um, this is one of the things we talk about all the time. I don't want you guys just believing me. You need to get into God's Word and make sure that what I'm teaching is accurate. I mean, I, work, I do hard work to, to make sure that I'm teaching what God's Word says, but you know, I, I welcome people saying, well, you really sure? You know, I was looking at it here and blah, blah, blah. We spend a lot of time just opening up the Bible and reading it, studying it, and knowing how it applies to our lives. In fact, yesterday we had our grow class, which is a class where the, the vast majority of that class we spend looking at how do you read the Bible effectively, study the Bible effectively, memorize it, meditate on it, all that. You know, how do you do that in your life? So we don't just say, hey, do this. You know, we're also giving 
um, some teaching behind that to help you do that. So those classes are always rotating throughout the year, so grab those as they come along. Um, we had a good time yesterday. So let's go ahead and stand. And as you do, let me just, one more point. It may have been our parents who brought us into this life, but it's God who's going to take us through this life. And so we need to trust him. We need to do life his way and experience him at work. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, it's good to be here today. It's good to be able to worship with our church family, to worship you through fellowshipping and just talking with each other and praying with each other, singing together, serving, hearing your message. And now, Lord, we want to worship you as we leave by living out what your word says, by taking um, you at your word and trusting you and taking that step of faith and doing life the way you say to do it in spite of whatever it is that we're facing because we know that you are faithful to your promises. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for coming. Make sure you grab a bumper crop bag on your way out and help us take care of a food pantry. Thank you.